Hello, Formula One fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Starting Grid Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Holcomb, as always, alongside Rome, Katie, Max Verstappen makes it six victories from eight in 2023 with a dominant display during the Sunday's Canadian Grand Prix, leading home the Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso and Mercedes Lewis Hamilton as Red Bull maintained their 100% win record for the season so far, as well as their 100th Grand Prix victory as a team. Rome, I hand this one over to you. Your instant reaction to what happened on Sunday in the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal. It was a pretty interesting race. I got to say this, man. Like, a lot, of, a lot of stuff happened. Of course, like, the rain kind of jumbled everything. But I, I, as I said in the qualifying episode, I thought race day was going to manage to get everything back into order. Except for my guy, Albon, though, which we will talk about at nauseum later. Because that dude did his thing. And you'll be hearing me talk a lot more about Albon later. And also, just a FYI, like, I think I got a perfect podium prediction. Because I think I had Verstappen, Alonso, and Hamilton at the podium. And it was perfect podium. So... I guess you could just say I'm an F1 savant at this point. Yeah, that's unfortunately for you, Roman. For unfortunately for our podcast, I think that's probably the first time that this has happened in the however many episodes that we've recorded and however many Grand Prix we've recapped that we've got these past few summers. So, but congrats to you, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, um, we. I think I. I think we should probably start keeping count of these more often, just to keep a score or something. It'd be interesting. Yeah, no, I. I mean, remember last year too? We were we were thinking of getting like point we were talking about like you know like point totals to like you know the correct like picks and stuff like that for the podium we should start doing that actually i think that'd be a lot of fun just compare yeah maybe maybe having the guests do one as well and see what the guests uh the guests can beat us which they probably will because it's not too hard to predict what um what the sport's gonna be yeah that'd be fun so but yeah i mean verstappen's lights the flag triumph once again i mentioned earlier red bulls 100 victory in the sports a team 18 years on from the team's debut um, the Dutchman also made more history, though, by drawing level with the legendary Artin Senna on 41 lins, extending his championship lead in the process. So, Rome, just quick words on Verstappen once again. It's not a 30-second victory, but it's still a near 10-second victory. Just pure dominance from the Dutchman once again. And I swear, if I go to bed and tonight, once again, I'm going to be hearing that Dutch national anthem and that Austrian national anthem in my sleep and my dreams. I just can't get that out of my head. It's been played so many times this season, Rome. Oh, so funny. It was kind of ironic because I saw a meme on it of just like this anime character just having a mental breakdown about hearing the Dutch and the Austri- Austrian national anthem, which is funny. But yeah, that just goes to show how this man just continues to be dominant. Like, no matter how far he is, and the difference between him and second place is just incredible. Whether it's like 20 seconds, nine seconds at this, in this case, like five seconds, it doesn't matter. The guy just gets it done no matter what. And I feel like for the first time in a while, it felt like Alonso gave him a run for his money, at least a little bit. Cause I remember it. Like, I think the first half of this race was, I think Alonso held like a one, two second lead on Verstappen. So I think you could tell that at, that that Aston Martin car was a lot faster uh, than it usually is. So, again, kudos to Alonso as well. And Hamilton did his thing too. But I think the overall guy, of course, is Verstappen because this dude is just unbelievable at what he's doing. And to me, I think he might already book his place in the Mount Rushmore of greats. I don't know, I don't know if that's too far out of the conversation yet because he might be on a battle run go win like four straight and then just dip for the rest of the for the rest of his career but I'm intrigued to see what Verstappen has going for the rest of his career because he is on a goat type of trajectory right now but 
then again, we'll see what happens in the future for him. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Fernando Alonso being one of Formula One's greatest realm, and Max Verstappen might pass him in the World Drivers Championships after the season, you know, with three compared to Alonso's too. So, I mean, if we're talking about Alonso's being in the one of the best drivers to ever suit up and be on the grid, I mean, Verstappen's going to be right up there, and he's only one of the eight, young age of 25, 27 maybe. So, um, it's just crazy uh, what he's been able to do these past three seasons, and it's been pure dominance ever since that uh, in fall and battle in 2021. But let's now get into Rome, the the Grand Prix behind Max Verstappen, as I like to call it. Um, so Hamilton overtook Alonso at the start. Um, Alonso eventually fought his way back in that Aston Martin, which improved race pace wise, you know, from the likes of Spain. Um, but I want to touch a little bit Rome before we get to the likes of Alex Albon about Carlos Sainz um, and, but also Charles Leclerc's drive, because I think Charles Leclerc, maybe next Alex Albon was my driver of the day. Um, it showed that maybe even in the first, fourth fastest car race pace wise, Leclerc can put in the results and we know the talent that he is. It's just, he's kind of in the middle in a, in a sticky situation at the moment where he, he, he can't really leave Ferrari because there's nowhere for him to go. But at the moment he, he has to kind of leave that situation because He's never going to win a World Drivers Championship in red, don't you think, Rome? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But, yeah, I just think Leclerc, like we've been saying, like, dude needs to just kind of get out of Ferrari. But I feel like this is this is his first good result in a while. And just seeing him do his thing uh, in that Ferrari car is a good sight to see, especially for the Tifosi, because they, they, they again, haven't had the best of seasons so far. So to get double points for them, especially with drivers who, I guess, science has been consistent, but it's always been kind of up and down for the Ferrari team, regardless of like strategy or tactics or whatnot. So I think it was a good result for them. And finally, their strategy seems good. So kudos to Vasseur and the team for pulling together that result. But I think also I got to touch on Lewis Hamilton because I think he posted a great race. I felt I felt like his pace was back. I feel like he's had really good pace since I know it was his last race, but I feel like he's had good pace since like Spain. And I think that those upgrades that Mercedes did in Monaco, although it wasn't as much of a, as much as, as much of an effect in Monaco, you could really see what it's like in Spain and Canada. And then now in Austria going forward. So I'm very interested to see what Hamilton could pull off. Maybe he has the pace to pull out a win. We'll see, but I, I'm keeping my out. I'm keeping my eye out on LH to get the job done at some point. And that'll be his first win room since the back end of 2021 Formula One season. So, I mean, it's been a minute since we've seen Lewis Hamilton take the checkered flag and be in first position. But we know the talent that he is, and we know that he can still drive the heck out of that Mercedes car. So, and until the last basically the last two laps for him, he had the fastest lap, so he would have had an extra point on that 18 that he gained, but Paris, who we'll get into a little bit later, snatched that band and going off the softs, but I think I appreciate you, Chancellor, on Lewis Hamilton, Rome, because I, I just don't think he's got enough credit for the consistency that he's shown over these past couple races, you know, we're looking back in Monaco now, you know, he got a solid result in Monaco P4, and then it's been on the podium in the past two uh, race weekends in Spain and Canada. So he's putting together consistent results. Total Wolf, you know, mentioned the Mercedes car. He says that they, he thinks that Mercedes have a good chance of winning at Silverstone in a couple of races time. So I think that, you know, with the way that Hamilton is driving at the moment, 
and the way the car is is has brought upgrades recently and they're only going to bring more upgrades before silverstone it's their home track too and I think that Lewis can pull off a win if anywhere it's going to be at Silverstone this season. So we've done he's done it so many times before. So let's now move on, Rome, to the likes of Carlos Sainz. A solid performance from him. You know, uh, Carlos Sainz started in um, P11 and he drove his way up to P5. So that's a good try from the Spaniard. Uh, and, you know, he picks up a solid. 12 points, uh, I should say 10 points for the team. And now when you're looking at the 2023 standings, he still had the likes of George Russell, still had the likes of Charles Leclerc in the World Drivers' Championship. So, you know, someone who I think I sometimes have not given the most credit towards what he should be able to be deserving of, um, you know, he's been, he's put together consistent results this season. You know, he only had that one not points finish in Australia, um, but other than that, Rome, he's got consistent results, and and we can't necessarily say the same for his team at the moment. Yeah, I completely agree with you about Sainz's performance this year, and like you said, like I've kind of been on the same boat where, like especially last year, I was kind of like, oh, he might not be a good fit at Ferrari. Like, uh, it's been shaky, but I feel like this year has probably been his best year at Ferrari. I think just because of the way he's been able to be consistent and not get too many DNFs. I don't think he's last time I checked, I don't think he's had any DNFs at all this year. So as I, cause I think he had a bunch from last year. So to really get that consistency down and being able to see that checkered flag, every race is, has been key for Ferrari. And on top of that, he's been getting points. So if you put all that together, I think he's putting together a decent season from where he's at. And who knows, maybe he could just sneakily climb his way up that, driver's championship standings i mean i get it he might not win it because Verstappen's crushing everybody but he he might get like a top five maybe even top four top three finish i think if he continues to gather up all these points he could just sneakily get in there and really put together some great performances for himself and i don't know like i think i think this season has really changed his image as a driver because as we've seen with like his days with Renault and McLaren, he's kind of been like an eh driver, nothing too crazy. But I feel like with this year at Ferrari, he's been probably his best like in his career just because of how consistent he is and how he's able to put in good results on a race-to-race basis. We've seen, too, that experience show, you know, four color signs over the years, his time, like you mentioned, Rome at Renault and then at McLaren. You know, he's continued to improve as a driver. And, Rome, you mentioned the only time you're not finishing in the points was Australia. You mentioned the fact that he hasn't had any DNFs this season. The only time he did finish outside of the points for him, he was given a five-second penalty. So he was in the points, but he had to draw back a little bit and finish in P12. So, you know, he's put in some countless great results this season. Look, So looking for that first win, but we know he can do it. Last year in Silverstone won a chaotic race there. So we know he has the ability to win races and, you know, we talked a little bit about this. I'm pretty sure maybe it was after I'm trying to think. Was it after I, I'm what was the race that maybe it was after Spain or maybe it was after Miami Rome where Carlos Sainz continues to, to continue to get more points than than Leclerc. You know, him potentially being the new face of Ferrari, which is kind of a seismic change from the, the past couple of years, you know. So um yeah, I just want to touch on Carlos Sainz a little bit there. Um, Sergio Perez, solid drive from him as well. Got to give him some credit, you know. 
uh, again up to, to P6. I believe he started P12. So um, solid, solid result for uh, Sergio Perez. Any thoughts on on the Mexican driver Rome? But um, do you do you think this is a good enough result for Red Bull to kind of say, okay, you've turned it around? I mean, it's a step in the right direction for sure. But you know, when you're still finishing behind the likes of the two Ferraris, the Mercedes, and and Alonso in that Red Bull car, and when you got people like Alex Albon finishing P seven, Rome, dare I say, Red Bull have to look themselves in the mirror and 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 potentially consider a driving change come next season? Um, I don't think you can make that change yet. I think just based off of this result, I mean, just based off of the circumstances he was dealt, I mean, granted, he was not driving really well in qualifying, but then again, there was rain involved in qualifying. So he probably didn't have the best pace and Rebel didn't have the best strategy. And you could tell when he got knocked out of Q2 and the camera cut to Horner in the in the pit lane, just going like, oh man, we messed that up. We we got him in a bad position. And I feel like that was also part of it too, because I don't know if I said this in the qualifying episode, but like at that point, when there's rain happening and there's chaos, it's all up to, to it's it's all about the team and who can deliver the better strategy. And I felt like Red Bull didn't have the best strategy for Paris at that time. But like I said on the qualifying. I I was not he was able to make up for that P12 with some great race day pace because we've seen with Verstappen and Paris too like Paris is sitting at the bottom of qualifying but then the race pace he just friggin' exceeds because that that rebels a rocket ship on a Sunday so I'm not surprised that he was able to get this result but in the grand scheme of things if you're behind Alonso both uh if you're behind Alonso Hamilton, Ferraris and a Rebel car, it's it's a little bit concerning for Red Bull, but I feel like you might have to give him a couple more races because then again, we forget that he already won two races on the season. So he could easily get back to that point. He just needs to put in better qualifying results, I think, and get into that front row where you can have a chance to battle with Verstappen and possibly win a race. So we can't just lay that notion to bed that he can't win races because he already won two this year. And he's won like three last year, so I don't I don't think it's time for Red Bull to uh, change change anybody yet. But again, we'll see what happens. It's Christian Horner. That that man is like probably one of the br- most brutally honest um, team principals on the grid right now. So we'll see what happens. Though I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens with that driver line for sure. Yeah, and people forget to I mean just giving some credit to Sergio Perez. Some the fact that he still finds himself in second in the World Drivers Championship ahead of Fernando Alonso just shows just how important those two victories towards the beginning of the season were for him in, in the grand scheme of things. So he still sits second place. You know, I know he's a ways off for stopping, but so is everyone else. Um and yeah, I gotta give Perez a little bit of credit because I feel like sometimes I I've thrashed him and things like that for sometimes things that are out of his control, so, uh, some, uh, similar to what happened in qualifying, but also in the race. Um, so, Barone, this is the topic that we've been avoiding for a little bit now, but I know you want to talk about because our guy, Alex Albon, finishes a P7 after qualifying P10 Rome. He goes up in a Williams. He finishes ahead of both Alpines, ahead of the Lance Stroll and the Aston Martin, ahead of the experienced Valtteri Bottas ahead of the two McLarens, like, I just, this guy has some raw talent, and seeing him do it in arguably the worst car on the grid, now, he he's single-handedly, Rome, has moved Williams up into P9 in the constructors, 
And that means that he they are one point behind Haas and now five points ahead of, in my opinion, the worst grit, the worst driver lineup in the grid in Afatari. So he he is single-handedly delivering results for this team. Sixth place means Roma. I was telling this before the podcast started. He has now jumped up to the 12th in the World Drivers Championship ahead of the likes of Nico Hulkenberg, ahead of the likes of Valtteri Bottas, ahead of the likes of Oscar Piastri, Joe Guan Yu, Yuki, maybe not Yuki Sonoda, but Joe Guan Yu, who all have better cars than him statistically and on race pace wise. So it's just massive what like, these results are, these results mean to the team. He got driver of the day and deservedly so. So Roma, I know you got a lot to say about Alex Ablin. So dish me it out, man. Bro. I was the happiest dude on the entire planet when this guy got P7. Because how many times have we seen this whole year, not just this year, but the past two years, where we've seen Albon do so great in qualifying and then just don't defend well at all to keep it there and not stay in the points. This time around, he he started overtaking a bunch of guys. And then with like, I don't know, 30 laps left, I'm going to be like prime Fernando Alonso and just defend the life out of this car right now. And he did that for the entire race. Like he put that car in the exact right position against Alcon, Bottas, Piastri, Schroll, against all cars that are better than the Williams by a long shot. And he was able to fend those guys off. And I said this in the qualifying episode. I've said it a thousand times before and I'll say it again. If this performance somehow does not perk the ears up of the big three, I seriously do not know what else to tell you. This performance deserves a big three seat. Because like I told you, I remember you asked me a question about if Lando and Alcon can do what he's doing in Williams. I don't think so. Yeah, Alcon might have the race craft and Norris might have the aggressiveness, but they, they don't defend like Alpon just defended in this race. They don't defend the way he just did. And it's I'm just speechless, man, because I'm so happy for this dude. He deserves it. He's He, in my opinion, got messed up by Red Bull. And, I mean, then again, he was young. He didn't really know his way around an F1 car yet. But I feel like at the, in this stage of his career with Williams and kind of learning with the team and learning how to be a number one guy on an F1 team has been so crucial for his development. And you could just see like ev- everything just seemed to be leading up into this point because we've seen him do these flashes of like good performances and qualifying good, like little 75%, 50% performances in the race and then drop back down the points. This time he was actually able to do all of that and then stick it towards the end. And if he could continue to do that in a car like that, I seriously do not know what these big three are thinking if they don't sign this guy up. Honestly, to me, I think probably the two, like I probably the, the, the two teams that probably have the best chance of having a driver opening and signing Albon are probably Ferrari and Red Bull. And I think like, because Leclerc has been performing that well and that friction is there between him and Ferrari, that's something to look at. And then I know we just talked about Checo and the fact that, He's been great on race pace, but like I said about Christian Horner, he's probably one of the most brutally honest guys on the grid, and he will and he will and he will tell you like he sees it. And if you're not performing up to his snuff, he's gonna get you out of there immediately. And Albon was product of that too. Let's not forget that either. So 
I, I don't know what else to say, man. I'm just going on this soliloquy right now for my guy, man, because I am standing with this guy like a hundred percent. Like I said this on my story, like this, like this performance turned me from a casual fan of Albon's to a hardcore fan of Albon's like hard, hardcore. Like this guy, this guy's my favorite driver now, like by a long shot. So I don't know. That's just that's just my soliloquy. You could talk about that now. I'm I'm done with my speech. <laughs> Forty hours later, no, but uh, <laughs> SpongeBob, <laughs> that's too good. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it was. You can't argue against what he did. I mean, he he finished behind Paris. I know, but I mean, the defendant he did on Ocon and Lance Stroll and Valtteri Bottas and they tried to overtake him was was pretty spectacular. That's what impressed me. So, well, I'm going to play a little bit of a game now. Okay. Who is who is most likely to be who is more likely to be binned at the moment? Like just just say like for the big the big three teams, Charles Leclerc Who's... and Ferrari, or Sergio Perez and Red Bull. And would you think would you do would you do you think that Ferrari would rather have Alex Albon in that car at the moment than Charles Leclerc? I'd say Leclerc gets bin first, and I think Ferrari going to look at Albon and sign him. I I I will say that I have said it before. I, I've said it before. It's not totally out of the realm of things here because just the way I'm telling you, the way this guy drives this year in a Williams, I don't know what else you could possibly look at and be like, this guy's a big three driver. I'm sorry. There has to be some type of rumblings going on in the paddock right now where you're getting guys going, oh, this guy, Albon, stepping up. Oh, this this, this guy's defending really well. Oh, I didn't see that out of him. That That's great for our team. I, I got to start recruiting this guy to get on a big three team because this guy deserves it. And I feel like Leclerc and Ferrari just haven't gone on the best of terms. And I feel like if you get another consistent guy like Albon to pair with Science, they're going to be like a sneaky top three in the Constructors' Championship, at least at this point in the year, if he signs with Ferrari, of course. But... Yeah, I think I think he comes in for Leclerc at that point. Wow. Okay. So you're telling me that you think that Vasor would rather at this moment have Albon than Leclerc in 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 that seat. Well, if you phrase it like that, I feel like it just with if like listen, if I'm in Vasor's head, I'd still rather want Leclerc because you had that relationship with him. I'll give you that. But based off the performances yeah. and how Leclerc's gotten a lot of DNFs, I mean, Grant, I think Albon got maybe like one or two DNFs, but I think Leclerc's had more DNFs. You can check that if you want. But just the fact that Albon's been consistent, granted it's not points, but he's been seeing the checkered flag a lot, has been important for them. And I feel like they, they want a guy to just be consistent like science that doesn't get into a lot of trouble knows how to maneuver around guys and just stay in his spot and just race his tail off and get points consistently. Yeah. And I mean, at least Sergio Perez has wins this season. We can't see the same thing for Charles Leclerc, you know, so I, I just yeah. going back to the earlier parts this year, but there's a lot, there's a lot that's going to go down uh, after the season. Uh, I think that you thought that last year's driver's mix up was crazy. I think it's going to be even crazier than that this year because we're going to get into them a little bit later, but Alphatari, too, has got a real dilemma on their hands. 
Um, but let's talk a little bit at Rome about McLaren and, and their woes. I mean, like, Lennon Norris, in my opinion, was unfairly given a five-second penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct, which is a penalty you don't see anywhere else than the NFL. I think Foreman Mom was just pulling that out of there, you know what. Um, but <laughs> Just your thoughts because, you know, he would have – I'm pretty sure he finished in P8 maybe or P9, and then he got dropped all the way down to P13. So he would have he would have racked up a solid points tie for them. And Oscar Piastri barely missed out on the points as well for McLaren. So they, they go they go zero-point day for, for McLaren, the boys, and Papaya, unfortunately. And that's not the past two races, Rome, where they haven't scored any points. Is this starting to become a cause for concern in, in your opinion? Um, I don't think it's a cause for concern because they have gotten double points before, like in Australia, they were able to kind of maneuver through all that uh, debris chaos that happened where guys were just going around the outside of that traffic jam, whatever that was, and they were able to hold it down from there. I think I think they could still do that again because, like I've been saying all year, they're still my favorite driver lineup because they have that star power, because they have that young fire, that young grit, that young aggressiveness in them that they could get points. And Norris had good pace, especially in qualifying. He had some great pace. So I thought he was going to have a better race today. But, like, I don't even know what happened with that unsportsmanlike conduct. Like, I didn't even see that, like, what happened with that. Like, I think, because well, I guess with the five-second time penalty, he would have gotten, like, P9. But, like, I didn't even know how he even got that. Was there some type of, like, weird overtake or something that happened with that? I'm just curious. No, it was something to do with when the safety car came out, Rome. Um, he was penalized. He was yeah, he was gonna finish in ninth room, you're correct, but he was penalized for apparently not staying true to his delta during the safety car. I think that's what oh. was. Oh, okay. At the same time, Rome, if you in my opinion at least, if you don't overtake the person who's in front of you or the order doesn't change, that that shouldn't be a problem. Like I I get the gap. Yeah. But... Yeah, yeah. But I feel like the FIA is like a little more strict about that type mm. of stuff because they're like, you have to be like 10 car lengths just... ahead of the next driver, whatever, yeah. whatever. So I think it could... yeah. I'm, I'm I just think they're like guys. Yeah, so I just think me. they're like Yeah, yeah. I just feel like they're really trying to enforce safety in this situation. Mm. Um which like I get it, it makes sense because you're trying to keep the safety of the F1 drivers and the safety car driver. But you know, it, you know, it's just like ticky tacky stuff like that that just kind of gets called, and you're like, you know, there's there's no way it was that, but you gotta just kind of take it on the chin and move on. But yeah, he could have gotten points, but I think Norris is a good driver. I think he'll bounce back from it. But sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. I just I think it's a bit hypocritical from the FIA because there was two instances. I guess there was one instance I didn't get penalized with the likes of Hamilton and Alonso with the unsafe release that um didn't get penalized. So I just you know, you want they want to enforce safety, but then they have all of these unsafe releases coming out of the garage, come out of pit stops that they don't give any time to. So I just, I think it was a little bit silly for them to criticize down on that one on that uh, notion because FIA this whole past weekend hasn't really given penalties for the slightest of things. So, but they did on that case, but it, it's a it's a move point um, because right now, Rome, I want to talk about Haas. Um, and Nico Hulkenberg starting in P5 and find himself all the way down in P15. I want to give my man Sean a, a shout out here because I'm pretty sure, Rome, he said the exact words of going from P2 at the time 
which before he was given the penalty, which we didn't know about at the time of recording. But he went from P5 realm to P15, which is exactly what my boy Sean said it would happen. So your thoughts on Nico Hulkenberg somehow finding himself out of the points after, uh, dare I say, an opportunity to get his first ever podium in his F1 career? Honestly, like, I'm not surprised because, like I said, the qualifying, he's probably the, like, this probably the second or third best qualifying driver on the grid right now, hmm. but he just, he just never gets it done on a race day. So I was not surprised to see him down the grid. I was like, when I saw him, like during the race, it was happening and they had that little grin on the left side and I saw his name on the 50th. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I kind of saw that from him all the way because Hulkenberg just never has any good race pace and just gets so easily overtaken. It's unbelievable. But I just feel like what Gunther Steiner and those guys need to do back in the factory is just find some way to like replicate some of that qualifying pace on race day. Because it seems like with Hulkenberg and Magnuson, they both put together decent qualifying times, but Magnuson always gets knocked down in Q2 or Q1 even sometimes. And then Hulkenberg is pretty much always in Q3. So I feel like if you forgot their Steiner, you need to go back to the drawing board and be like, hey, how can we... Like to if he talks to mechanics, like how can we be able to replicate that same qualifying pace into race day pace? Because if they do that, they they might be a midfield team. I might I'm I'm genuinely like stamping that because if like if if Hulkenberg can do what Albon's doing and just put together great flashes and actually stick it, he might get a lot more points than we than we would think he would. And same thing for Magnuson too. If he somehow gets into that like P9, P10 range on like a every other race basis, it has to be fine, really. And I get your point about the preseason, about like Haas not being that good, P10 and the constructors, all that. I understand that. But let's just be real here. That If they can just replicate that qualifying pace into race day pace and just transfer that nicely – They'll they'll be in a way better position than they are now because it's been proven in qualifying. They just need to do it in a race day. Yeah, it's a lot of ifs, maybe's, or buts, and what ifs for Haas at the moment. So, um, it's just the reality because they haven't scored points since Magnuson's P10 in Miami, and it's been a minute. You know, a lot of races this year where they don't score points. I know that's not the usual for Haas to get into the points, but at least like be above the likes of Alfa Romeo maybe, and and try to posing on the likes of McLaren um, in the constructors, but that just hasn't been the case. And they're still in a fight. There I said, they are still in a fight, potentially finishing the last constructors championship. That's all I'm going to say. But Rob, the next team I want to get into is AlphaTar because we talked about them at length in our qualifying episode. But I mean, this is the worst driver lineup on the grid at the moment. I don't think it's even close. Yuki Sonoda, Nick DeVries. Somehow, Yuki Sonoda is outperforming his teammate with the performances that he's putting in. Um, he's somehow outperforming his teammate, uh, finishing in the in the likes of P14, P13, uh, week, week in and week out. Nick DeVries, man, I just, other than Logan Sargent, I argue, I can arguably, I can argue that Logan Sargent at the moment is a better driver than Nick DeVries. And, <laughs> and I, like, listen, like, Nick DeVries, talk about a one-hit wonder. I mean, oh my gosh, I know you're laughing over there, Rome, but I mean, the man, we, we have been wow. bamboozled. We have been led astray. By last year's uh, race in Monza, Rome. I mean, the guy just can't put his car anywhere near the points. And, I mean, he finished last of the people that finished the race that were classified. Just another horrid day for for 
Nick DeVries, but you can tell he, he can't have much of uh, cred either because this guy, I know he's not performing his teammate in qualifying and race day, but he basically doesn't even have a teammate. It's basically just him going out there and racing against himself. Um, it's kind of like when you have a golf match and you're playing um, a match play and your your person that you're playing doesn't even show up, so you get a free win. It's basically a free win for Sonoda against his teammate every single weekend. Nick DeVries, man, what has happened to this guy? Uh, I mean, he, he, he's, 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 what is he, what is he now? 29. Um, people forget that he's 29. He's, he's getting older. Um, you know, starting his F1 career at the age of 29. It's just, it tells you a lot and, and it makes sense now because, you know, he was a Mercedes reserve driver for such a long time. I'm um, forming the E as well. Had a couple of good stints in the flow of Formula One levels and Formula Two and such, but the guy just cannot handle Formula One Rome. I just I want you to talk about Nick DeVries because I know he finished the points in Monza, but I mean this guy I don't know if it's I mean they do have arguably the worst car in the grid now, but like still, I mean, no points and you can't even get the close to a guy Nuka Sonoda who is known for crashing out of races. I mean, I just I could go on about all day about Nick DeVries. There was so I had so much hope for this guy coming into this year. I was like, Nick DeVries is going to finish maybe P15, P14 in the Dora Drivers' Championship. Heck nah. I'm going to come out right now and say Nick DeVries is going to get a single point this season in Rome. Um, your take uh, on that. Yo, I'm I'm on my chasing stuff right now because I'm hit, I'm in you with the bug eyes and the shock, bro. Because this, I not only, guys, is he taking after me with these hot takes right now, he's hitting me with the Stephen A. Smith bamboozled, led astray, run amok, all that stuff, bro. I got to give you credit for that because you went on your stuff there. But, I mean, DeVries, man. Ah, God. I almost feel bad for the dude because we all thought after that PA Monza, this guy was going to be it. This guy was going to solve Alphatar's problems and be on Sedona. But it has just gone the exact other way for him. Like, it's not been great at all. And I th- I think this might be one of the only times that we've seen both drivers get cut from Alphatari. They need a whole new shakeup of drivers and everything. I mean, they already got that dude from Ferrari coming in to to replace Tusk, like like you said in qualifying, in our qualifying episode. But they, I think they need to have both Liam Lawson and Daniel Ricciardo on this team, because I mean, let's face it, Ricciardo is going to probably not get a seat anywhere other than AlphaTauri, to be honest. And then same with Liam Lawson. I feel like AlphaTauri can be a good place for him to develop and become a good race driver, but. I, Man, it's just Alphatari is just not it's not it, man. Like I like I like I send the qualifying. I don't know if they're gonna sell the team at some point. Like it's in that territory right now. Because it's just like the team's not communicating right. The toss was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what this car is at this point. I've gotten like nothing, no updates, no say, whatever. Like, and the drivers are like consistently towards the back of the grid. And even both of them are getting knocked out in Q1s, Q2s consistently. And we've only seen like DeVries get up in like P12 only once, which I think was in Spain. But it's like, again, like all this like bad stuff going on for AlphaTauri. They just need some fixing. They need a whole new driver lineup with both Liam Lawson and Ricardo, I think, if Ricardo's going to even get a seat next year. Yeah, I mean, I would take a couple of Formula or Formula Two guys over. Like, Saul certainly has been a underperforming season so far 
for Nick DeVries and disappointing one because his only season in F1 might be the season. And I don't see a way back for the man unless someone wants a relative, not, I can't even say relatively young anymore driver. So, um, yeah, Nick DeVries, uh, start learning Chinese, buddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got to say on that. Um, I, I hope no one takes that as a, as a joke. As a, it's just a joke. It's, yeah, it's nothing more than a joke. <laughs> don't take that too seriously. Um, uh... But, Rome, last point, I don't want people to think I forgot about it because he's my favorite driver, second favorite driver, arguably. Um, but George Russell crashes um, into the wall, ends up somehow again his race back underway and back into the points, which was a great driver man. But then his engine went because of the crash. So, um, the, not the engine, the brakes were I think of the problem after fifty three laps. He had to retire from the race. So, your thoughts on Russell crashing? But. You know he put in a pretty good drive after that with a with a damaged new front with a new front win after he damaged it. I mean, for a minute it was looking like Russell was going to get into the points after being in last place after that crash, which would have been pretty impressive. But it it's a bunch of what it should have kid ups, you know. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I I thought the same thing you thought, where I was like, where he hit that crash where that whole back wing just like went into shambles. I was like, there's no way he's even like close to entering back in this race but he he shocked me and he shocked a lot of people how he was just able to get back in that form and just get back in the points and just continue to do what he's been doing um so i think i think it was a all right day for him i mean it was it was courageous to him to just continue to keep pushing through the brake damage but at some point like you knew it was just gonna pop out on him and it did towards the end of the race and this is probably like his like first big mistake of the year i think especially with dnfs and i think he's a good enough driver to respond from that and continue to do better in austria and in silverstone in the next uh few few races yeah it's I his first I... it's his first retirement run other than an engine failure this season so in australia so yeah yeah, I think consistent. I think he's yeah, I think he's I think he's been probably with science, he's probably been one of the more consistent drivers on the grid. So again, I think this is just a little one off. I think he just take it on the chin, one of those mistakes, and just bounce back in Austria, which I think I think is a good track for Mercedes because if Spain and Canada taught us anything, in like a regular track space, like they they fly down those straights and in those corners as well. And I feel like that Mercedes car might have good pace in Austria. I have, I have a good feeling about those silver arrows going, doing some great things in Austria. No, it's respectable. And, um, you know, he put in a good result last year. I believe it was P4 for George Russell in Austria. So um, Mercedes, they've they've shown that around slower, slower corners, they haven't been the best, like track-wise. So, like, at a place like Austria, I think that's going to improve for them a little bit. Um, but that very much rounds out. I mean, we got we can talk a little bit about the broad scheme of things. You know, of course, Red Bull still have a seismic gap um, over Mercedes, 154-point lead in the constructors. But that battle for second seeing up because um, Aston Martin are 13 points behind Mercedes now. They gained five points, and then this weekend, thanks to Fernando Alonso's 
a good drive, but also Lance Stroll's points finish. Um, but Rome, Christian Horner came out for the first time and said, "Listen, we could actually win every single race this season." Like he was kind of a dying at first, but he came out the other day and said, "Like this, 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 this is possible. We could go twenty-two for twenty-two." Um, so do you want to give me one last take? Bold take before the podcast ends, Rome. Will Red Bull win every single race in twenty twenty three? I I mean they have a really good chance of doing it. I just think because of the way Verstappen in that car is just going right now, like it's it's probably the best car since probably what was it like the W twelve or W fourteen that the Mercedes had with Lewis Hamilton and in, in that era. Yeah, W eleven twenty twenty. W eleven, yeah, that's right. So I I think. I, I just think the RB19 clears at W11 at this point in time, just the way wow. that car's going, especially with how Verstappen's been driving that car. I just don't think it's even a competition. Like, I was I was thinking of this the other day. I was just like, Verstappen in that car is just kind of like two halves of what Barry Bonds was with the Giants when he had the PEDs. Now, <laughs> I, am I now am I saying that, like, there might be some scandals? Now... Now, I'm am I am I implying that there's PEDs involved? No, but like it's 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 kind of it's kind of interesting because they've been winning every race, and and you kind of think to yourself a little bit like, is this? I I'm not saying Verstappen is on PEDs, but like there's some there's some sort of like I don't know if there's gonna be some sort of like scandal going on around this whole thing, but oh. I'm just kind of saying hyperbole at this point, but like. Just, just because I mean, you gotta at least that has to at least enter your mind, right? Because if if a car like the Red Bull is winning every race on the calendar and is going unbeaten so far, that has to at least enter your mind, right? I, I can't be crazy on that, guys. I just can't be. And then also point out that in Austria we're gonna have another uh, sprint shootout and a sprint, which mm. should be very interesting to watch how those those two events kind of shape the grid for tomorrow but i guess you could talk about my take on Verstappen and also the sprint uh on, on us here <laughs> yeah i mean i think mercedes are going to probably and aston martin are probably going to do everything in their power to look into this this dominant season from red bull i mean dare i say uh 2023 world drivers champion fernando alonso after um, after Stoppins uh, and Red Bull find out that the car is illegal, some somewhat like what happened in the movie Rush, if you can remember, um, back in James Hunt's days. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's it just goes to show you just how dominant that this team is at the moment. One of the most dominant in most pin, the most dominant car of all time, which we could certainly make a case for. So, um. We get another sprint, which is interesting. We get to try out the sprint shootout format again, which is fun. More competitive racing, you know, less practice sessions uh, for, for the teams to figure it out. But and it gets more viewers to the television. That's what Formula One's trying to do nowadays. So I think it's good for the sport. Um, so we'll see the second version of that this this second time that this uh in, in Austria, and I believe that is in two weeks' time, Rome. Yes, um, the weekend of July the second. Um, so you got next week off, and then we come back hot. Uh, for Austria, a track where Charles Leclerc Rome actually won last season. So um, dare I say, dare I say that Clark get his first win of the seasons in 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 Austria? It's not looking good, bro, at the moment. But it's not. It's um, really not. 
I, honestly, before we leave, though, I I don't know if he even gets a win this year. Probably like one or two, but mm. he probably might not even get a win this year. I th- I think I'll just leave it at that. Quite honestly, who's more likely to get a win, Charles Leclerc or Carlos Sainz? Oh, dang, that is tough. I think I think considering how Sainz was able to get a win at Silverstone, and considering how consistent he was. Just based off of that, I'd probably say science has like a fingernail better chance than Leclerc does because Leclerc gets in a bunch of DNFs and issues with the team. But you could just see that science is just a different beast in that car, especially this year. And then going into like basically all tracks, all track courses with Austria, Sing- uh, not Singapore, Silverstone and Hungary coming up. I feel like science should have the better advantage there, at least in my opinion. So hmm. we'll see what happens though at that point. It's nuts, man. Um Leclerc's I'm not gonna say downfall, but Leclerc's Leclerc's season has been shocking this year so so far. Disappointing. Yeah. You know, he finds himself in seventh in the in the World Drivers Championship, just ahead of Lance Stroll. you don't want to be in company with the likes of Lance Stroll for any means so um yeah yeah and 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 he's uh, he's 14 points behind his teammate in carlos Sainz at the moment you know with three races this season with no points finishes and i know some of that was down to engine and bahrain it's like that but come on brother you, we know that you're talented you just gotta show it you know and he, and he saw we saw what he did with all those overtakes in canada this past weekend but he's got to do better in qualifying too many Q2 exits, too many low starts in Q3. We got to see the Charles Leclerc that we saw last year and put it on pole more often, you know, because we know he can do it. Um, but at the moment, he's not putting the performance. I think something's going on with his head. So that would do it for this edition of the Starting Grid Podcast. We, I believe, are already on our 17th or 16th episode of the season, which is kind of crazy to say. Um so we're we're caught up on our one year anniversary room um when we get to Belgium um later, I believe at maybe in the last week of of July. Um actually maybe maybe it was yeah, maybe it, we started this in August last year, but um Yeah, it was like middle August. Yeah, after the summer break. So but I mean I think Belgium was the first race we did, right? Maybe the counter yes. was a little different last year, but um Yes. Spa, which is a great track, in my opinion. It should be renewed for the next couple of years, hopefully. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of crazy. We've been doing this for a while now. So this is our first full season. Uh, we're making some developments, making some plans. Um, hopefully we'll get some cool interviews in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of weekends, maybe over in the summer break, contact some cool people. Um, and we just are waiting on the responses. So that's that's all I got to say. Um, but for Rome, for Shane, make sure to go check us out on Instagram. I'm really trying to go post more on that Instagram account as soon as because my summer's freed up now. I have a lot more time on my hands out of school. Um, so I'm going to make an effort to do better on the Instagram out of the certain group podcast. Um, and yeah, go follow us on Instagram. Um, Rome for his Alex Avon uh, fanboy and me um, for just keeping it blunt and releasing all these F1 TikTok edits that I love to see because there's a lot of good ones nowadays. Um, so for Rome, for me, you're welcome. This has been a Thuringer podcast.
enjoy the next couple weeks, guys, and we will see you in Austria. Cheers.